All righty, everybody. Ooh, it's the end of the month on Freedom Aid Radio Sunday Show, the 28th of February 2010, which means, oh, let me just get my creaky old bones into the begging position uh, for, for donations for those who are throwing a few shekels my way. I'm going to send you, oh, the very special reading of my novel, Just Poor, which is uh, in progress. I think I've got about six hours done. And uh, I think that you will uh, enjoy it. And uh, if you don't have the money, don't sweat it. It's going to go out to the general stream, or at least to those who are interested. Uh, so you're not going to, it's not going to be like to go, which sits in the donator section, the God of Atheists, but this one's going out to general. So don't sweat it if you don't have the money. But if you do, and you'd like to get a preview, I would certainly appreciate it if you could go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate and click on the kidney icon. There's lots of internal organs there, which you can uh, do if you have a DVD player, a little spindly arm will come out and do the work for you, and uh, I will certainly receive uh, what I need for black market uh, organ transfusions. So, um, thank you everybody so much for joining my gorgeous and talented and brilliant friends, and thank you very much to the lady who did a fine conversation uh, this week. She has since broken up with the fellow, which um, she does not appear to be broken up about. And uh, I guess I'll ask her if um, if she'll allow to release the conversation where she discusses that fine and assertive and boundary-creating infrastructure conversation. And uh, she apparently is uh, is happy uh, and pumped and excited. And so good, good for her. I, I think that's a wonderful uh, thing to do. So um, we have a dream request to start with. Dream, dream, dream. All right. So this is uh, from... Uh, a fellow who goes by the handle X cultist. So I don't know why he's still here. Um, just kidding. And so he says, so I'm in the kingdom hall of the X congregation out a few minutes from the town off the highway with fields all around. However, it's filled with another congregation's members from a later congregation I went to. I get seated and the Sunday public talk speaker and his family show up. They are usually a traveling family from another congregation. That way, every Sunday, there is a new speaker for novelty. There's a wife, two daughters, and two sons. The one daughter plays the song from the songbook we are singing behind me with a cello. It's normally played on speakers. Then the speaker goes up for a few minutes as normal, but then gets down. Then his daughters begin to go up and speak from the podium. Women aren't allowed to do this. This is Jehovah's Witness, I assume. They intersperse with the entire family, taking turns giving up parodies of common talk themes and statements that Jehovah's Witnesses make. The girls wear makeup and dress up like men, as if mocking the rules of the Jehovah's Witnesses. They get sillier and sillier, and eventually the congregation itself gets a bit tense, and the situation seems creepy to me. My fiancé and I aren't sitting next to it near each other, and I give her concerned looks as if we should leave. In the back of my mind, I was expecting them to freak out and kill everyone with assault rifles or something at any minute. So I get up to ostensibly go to the bathroom, nodding to my fiancé to come with me and the family, by this time sort of dancing around the hall, making lewd gestures and acting like clowns in front of the audience members within the audience. They're not on the podium any longer. Uh, this is the girls or the whole family, I guess, uh, who was up speaking. They give me suspicious looks as we go to leave the auditorium to the back hall. When we get there, we start to tell each other of our reaction to what is happening and make to leave. As soon as we get out the door, we break for the highway running. When we get to the highway, we start to stick out our thumbs to hitchhike with someone to get to the town quicker to escape. No one picks us up. 
Suddenly I turn around looking at Karth, and the youngest son of the family fades into reality right there. He makes like some kind of creepy demon-possessed character. And I take a butter knife out and stab him in the chest. He falls into the ditch and ostensibly dies. After this, the family fades into visibility surrounding us, and then my consciousness fades out. When it returns, my fiancé and I are in a room being held hostage by this family. We learn that they aren't real. Somehow they are apparitions that scan the brains of people that they appear with and create the environment accordingly. Basically, somewhat like the clown-slash-fear character from the episode of Star Trek Voyager entitled The Thor. That doesn't mean much to me, but perhaps to others. To continue, it becomes apparent by now, but that by now they are torturing the audience very much similar to that episode with their thoughts of fears and phobias, while we are being held back in a back room of the Kingdom Hall. The family leaves, except for one of the daughters, who then says that she's going to fuck me. She asks how I want it, and I deny wanting to do it at all. She says, do you want the family to watch? And I say again, that I have to, that if I have to, it will be with no one watching. She seems shocked as this, as if this never happens, and as though this happens all the time when they spawn in the world. I ask that my fiancé be allowed to stay to watch if she wants, as I feel bad for what is happening. The daughter explains that everyone wishes her family to watch when she, quote, fucks people. I ask if she believes me, and she says yes, and shows me a holographic 3D representation of my brain seen through so I can see the parts of my inner brain and the cortex that are activated. I feel a sense of claustrophobia, however. I also feel a sense of courageous indignation and a feeling of resistance. Then, I woke up. So, are you are you on the line at the moment? Can we talk about this uh, very powerful dream further? Yeah, sure. All right. So, um, can you just tell me what uh, what happened the day? When, when did you have this dream? Just this morning. Just this morning. All right. So, what went down yesterday? Um... Nothing out of the ordinary. Go on. Well, what did you do? Okay, I'm back. Um, it it was a fairly normal day, as I recall. Um, nothing out of the ordinary happened. And uh, where are you in your relationship to the Jehovah's Witness at the moment? Um, I've been disfellowshipped for a few years, and um, I'm sorry, you've been what? Um, disfellowshipped, is that right? Um, no, not disfellowshipped. I've been inactive. I've, I've faded um, for, it's been almost three years now. So you haven't been formally rejected, spurned, or ostracized, but you're not participating in the community, is that right? Um, well, I wasn't actually baptized, so they didn't disfellowship me, but I have been ostracized. The people in the congregation I went to don't talk to me anymore, and for all intents and purposes, treat me as though I've been disfellowshipped. Right. And uh, what happened three years ago that brought this on? Um, I went on the internet one day and typed in Jehovah's Witnesses on Google, and I found an XJW forum, and it only took me about five minutes of reading there to, to realize that it was, you know, totally fallacious, and, and I decided kind of right away that I wanted to leave. That I didn't believe it anymore. Right, right. And what was occurring beforehand that you went in pursuit of this? Well, the whole year before I had done that, I'd been having doubts because of various various um, issues and in, in the uh, witnesses that I didn't agree with. 
such as um, you're not allowed to grow a beard and uh, the way that they, they treat certain people. It just seemed kind of hypocritical and a lot of it was being made up. It had nothing to do with the Bible doctrines they were teaching. Right, right. Um, and what's uh, your relationship with your family at the moment? Uh, my mother is still in it, and we talk sporadically, but um, the relationship's totally uh, kind of ruined from the way it was. We really don't have much to talk about anymore, and uh, uh, other than that, the other family I had that's still in the witnesses, I don't talk to at all anymore. Right. Okay. And your father? Uh, my father, I hadn't Unless seen... you didn't have one, in which case I'm sure that they absolutely want to get their hands on you. Sorry, just kidding. Go on. <laughs> um, well, I called, uh, I called in a couple months ago about my father. I haven't seen him for about 10 years, and then actually he... My brother and, and him uh, contacted me, and but he was never in the wit witnesses. And oh yes, I, I recall. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm back. I've made the <laughs> connection. Sorry about that. Okay, and your brother? Uh, my brother, I'm still seeing on and off. He was never in the witnesses either, and um, yeah. And uh, have you discussed with your mother your reasons for not participating in the community? Uh, the witnesses? Mm -hmm. Yes, when I decided to leave, I, um, I moved to a different town where my grandmother lives. She was never in the witnesses either. And when she came to visit me, she realized I wasn't any longer going to the meetings or doing or participating. And... I had prepared a bunch of material to show her, to, to explain to her why I left, um, mostly about how they've changed the doctrines and how they, through their own words, kind of um, invalidate their own teachings. Um, I showed her some of the, some of the things they've done that, that are hypocritical. For instance, they denounced the UN as, um, as part of Satan, and yet they joined the UN as a non-governmental organization until it was pointed out to them that people knew they were a member, and then they quickly withdrew and <clears throat> made up some excuses. And uh, I also prepared a, a big list of questions for her, just asking her logical questions that no one that I had met in the witnesses could answer. And it did nothing to dissuade her. She, uh, she ignored it mostly. Right, right. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Thank you. So, um, and you ha you have a fiancé in real life, is that right? Yes. And um, uh, that relationship is obviously good because you're going to get married. And, and how far away are you from getting married? Um, we hope to get married this summer. Well, congratulations. I think that's that's fantastic. All right. Now, is she she has no history with these, uh, these people? Uh, actually, yes. She is an ex-JW herself. She, and now, did you meet her through this forum, the other forum? Um, no, actually, I, I met her in real life. Okay, and um, uh, she left for similar reasons in a similar time frame? 
Yes, she she left when she met me, actually. And did she have doubts beforehand, or uh, did she uh, have the doubts as a result of her conversation with you? She had doubts beforehand. And how are things with her family, uh, who I assume are still uh, in the uh, in the Jehovah's Witness? Uh, her mother is shunning her, uh, kind of tech, textbook-like, and her father um, has some ties but is not a member, and he still sees her. Right, okay, okay. And have you discussed uh, how you want to raise your children with her? I assume if you're going to have kids or if you want kids, that's been something that you've talked about? Yes, quite a bit. And what's uh, what are your theories or approaches as to how you're going to uh, raise your kids? Um, we, we've uh, read quite a bit of the FDR stuff, or listened to the podcast, rather, and we uh, we think we agree with most of of what's presented there, and um, we would uh, raise them more more or less, you know, without trying to uh, control them or change them and, and accept them as they are, and just kind of you know guide them. Right. And have you talked about how you are going to introduce your mother and how she's going to introduce her father? To um, to the children, with regards to this uh, this religion that they're involved in. Well, we've said that we will explain to her she's not allowed to tell them about that stuff until they're older, and you know before by the time that they could think about it properly and have uh, you know enough enough knowledge to to think about it properly, and if she were to talk to them about that before that time we wouldn't allow her to see them right okay well i'm i'm very sorry for all of those challenges i really i really am it's it's really really tough but i mean i'm glad that you guys have discussed this and come to a um uh, a set of working principles with with how to deal with these with these situations so uh good good for you for that all right so thank you um appreciate you bringing me up to speed so this dream and now I'm going to just have to hack and slash fairly. It's going to be a bit of a carpet bomb because I don't know enough about the Jehovah's Witness to know what the metaphors and the similes all mean in the dream. So I'm going to cast my net pretty wide. And, and of course, uh, you as the person who had the dream and as the expert, um, you tell me where, where I'm going astray, right? So this is my, uh, as usual, nonsense amateur take on, uh, on this dream. So okay. does the dream take place in the present? Um, because there's some indication that it seems to be taking place in the past because there is a, a congregation's members. This is an earlier and a later set of congregation, uh, a congregation members that you're talking about, right? It's, it's an older location, but it was the latest congregation I was in. And from what I can tell, it takes place right now in the present. Right. So it takes place in the, in the present. So, so why are you there? Because um, that's I the never... first question I always ask, in, and it, it, especially when we don't ask this in the dream, that's the first question that I would ask is, if it's taking place in the present, and it's a relationship that I have left behind, why am I there? Because the dream can place you anywhere. It can place you in a spaceship, it can place you on the moon, it can place you in the ocean, it can place you at Club Med, at Club Fed. Uh, so 
So why do you think in the dream you're, in a sense, back there? I, I really can't tell. It was, it was kind of shocking for me when, when I realized I was there in the dream. And in the dream, you say the girls are, are parodying the rules of the Jehovah's Witness, right? They wear makeup and dress up like men, and this, I assume, is not, not allowed, right? Yes. And so the rules are being broken, but nobody is, is doing anything, right? Right. And that is... Interesting, because this is part of what you had just talked about, the hypocrisy that you had a problem with, right? Yes. Okay. So the rules can be broken, and this is very true of religion as a whole, because religion is is fundamentally and sort of metaphysically and epistemologically in terms of reality and knowledge. Religion is the manifestation of everybody's fantasy about what anarchism is, right? It's it's a complete lawless universe in religion because you can cherry pick whatever rules you want and whatever you're doing, you can find justification for. So it is complete anarchy in the sort of cheap or mendacious or majority sense of the of the word. So there are no rules in religion. There are no rules in religion. I mean, the Ten Commandments mean nothing. Um, and, uh, that there are no, cause you, whatever you do, you can find justification for it somewhere, uh, in religion. So I think the dream is pointing out that there are no rules because these people are mocking and reversing all of the rules, this family, and nobody's saying, whoa, 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 hey, this is against our rules, right? Right. And they're mocking the religion. By breaking the rules and, as you say, getting sillier and sillier and sillier. And you say eventually the congregation gets a bit tense. And what, is, what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, – why are they tense? Why isn't somebody stopping this, this breaking of the rules? They all seem shocked and scared and kind of paralyzed to stop them. Why are they paralyzed to stop them? I think because it's so shocking for them they've never experienced anything like this before. Well, um, they've never experienced people who break the rules of the community? Uh, in the Kingdom Hall, no. Okay, so when you're in the Kingdom Hall, you never break the rules. Is that right? Right, yeah. Okay, okay. So um, in the real Kingdom Hall, right, in reality, I mean, I guess as close to reality as these people are going to get, in reality, what would happen if this occurred? Um, they would probably be uh, kind of whisked off uh, in the in the back and and kind of counseled and and uh, lectured on what rules they broke and and how they should be behaving etc. So the, the the church elders would interrupt this I guess blasphemy so to speak uh, these apostates yeah. and they would they, yeah. would they would put a stop to it they would leap up and they would put a stop to it. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, so why in the dream do you think this doesn't happen? Um, I think because it's just, it's so intense. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of wild. Like other than the people, they're just, they're being swamped with all this, uh, this bizarreness and, uh, this kind of anarchy. And why do you, but so, so. 
I'm I'm not sure that really explains because in in the real world they would stop they would put a stop to this right, but in this yeah. in your dream they don't and I guess the question is why in the dream because it's your dream right so you you do have an answer for this although it may not be easy to get to, but why do you think they don't put a stop to it in the dream or nobody puts a stop to it? I think they're all afraid of what. I'm not sure. Okay, we'll keep going, and uh, we'll see if we can if we can uh, figure this out, right? So, when the congregation starts to get anxious, and these antics are still continuing, you um, and now uh, uh, men and women are not allowed to sit together in in these uh, these congregations. Is that right? No, they can. Oh, they can. Okay. So, do you know why you and your fiance are sitting apart? Um. Well, actually, I do. When before the meeting started, I was talking to people, and they they kind of forced themselves to to take up all the seats around me, so that she was forced to sit away from me. It happened in your life again Okay, okay. Um, now, in the real world, if you were there and your fiance were there, and let's just pretend that you had some reason to be there, you would say to these people, "No, uh, this is where I like. You need to save a seat for my fiance, right?" Yeah. Do you know why you didn't do that in this dream? I'm not sure, no. Because, and you understand this is no criticism at all of you as a person, right? This is just what I'm getting out of the dream and what I think the dream is telling you, is that you are very reactionary here, right? Kind of passive. And that's not a criticism, right? This is just what the dream I think is telling you because you don't wake up in a sense, you don't sort of say, oh, my God, I'm in this place with my fiancé. We neither of us want to be here, so let's get the hell out of here. Right? You you sit and you watch and you wait. And also that you don't reserve a seat for your fiancé, so you end up sitting apart. Right? So you're separated. So you don't set up boundaries with the seating. You don't set up boundaries with the, the church as a whole. And you kind of wait until the congregation is getting kind of tense. And then you kind of try to sneak out. Right? Yeah. And that's that's not how – if you just suddenly woke up in one of these uh, services, you'd just, you'd just get up and go, right? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't need to sneak out. You wouldn't need to – right? So, so there's a lack of boundaries that you're drawing, which I think starts with your fiancé not being able to sit next to you, right? Yeah. Now – is it the girls that you're the girls who are up on the podium who are mocking in a sense to celebrate the celebrate the, the the traditions? Are you expecting them to freak out and kill people with assault rifles? Is that right? Yes. And what's uh, what's the thought behind that? I mean, was that something you were really expecting in the dream, or is it something you just well, what if they did? Uh, I was expecting it. It's what prompted me to to leave eventually. At the end, was I could see every everything was escalating. At first, they were acting normally, and then it just kept getting more and more intense until I thought they would t- kind of take the whole congregation hostage and just start killing people. Right. Okay. Okay. All right. So we'll uh, and so you're you're coming out there making lewd gestures. What does that mean? Like that they? I'm not sure what lewd gestures you're referring to. Just kind of like sexual innuendo, kind of like like sort of finger in the in the fist kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Are they sort of lap dancing or like how sexual is it when you're leaving? Um, 
it's fairly suggestive. It's not it's not triple X or anything. <laughs> right, right. Okay, but it's definitely sexually suggestive. Like they may be doing a bit of bump and grind, but not necessarily in thongs on people's laps, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. And nobody is doing anything except for you, right? Right. Okay. So you break for the highway running, you get to the highway, you start to get a hitchhike. Now, is that you say no one picks us up, that means there are cars going by, but nobody stops to help you, right? Yes. And do you know why you don't have any uh, any money or why you don't have a car? Because it's not, it's not clear at all how you got there, right? Right. Okay. Um, and so it's it's correct that nobody, just nobody's stopping to, to get you, right? Yeah, they're just driving by. All right. And then... The youngest son of the family fades into reality, right? Yeah. And you say he makes like some sort of creepy demon-possessed character. What does that mean? Is he attacking you? Is he doing a weird dance? I mean, what is he? What is he? Is he twitching? Is what is he doing? He's he's just kind of flat effect, kind of just coming towards us as if he's going to kind of like bring us back or you know like harm us in some way. And how old is he? Um. Probably eight or so. So why do you need to stab him? Because he can't really do much to you, right? He's so young, right? Well, it's he's he seems to be like demon possessed. So, um, I had a really intense fear that they were going to kill people. So in the back of my mind, I kind of thought he would uh, perhaps, you know, kind of become like a vampire or something, maybe. Um, or like he'd have superhuman strength kind of thing. Right. Or, or like bite us in the neck or something like that or or clawed us or things like that. Okay. So it's a, because but, – but in, in the dream, I, I assume that in the dream you don't believe in demons, right? Because you're not religious in the dream. You're trying to get away from the church, right? Right. But in, in this – in what's happening, it's kind of – destroying all my notions of reality in the dream oh yeah the guy fades into appearance and that's a magical thing already right right now that that is a metaphor for i would assume it's a metaphor for something in your head rather than something in reality if that makes sense uh i'm not sure you're not sure what i mean yes well if if something fades into appearance in a dream the most likely thing is that it is an aspect of yourself it's part of your own personality because things in reality don't just pop in and out of existence right so if if a human be if an, if an entity or a person fades into existence the most likely explanation that i would go the, the first place i would go to look is is that this is an aspect of myself and that's because he's defying the law of physics and dreams can completely reproduce the laws of physics if they want dreams can do anything so when dreams violate the laws of physics they're trying to tell you something right and so that's the first thing, suggestion. And the second suggestion that I would make about why this might be an aspect of yourself, my friend, is that whenever I have a dream and a supernatural beast or being comes into the dream and I try to kill it or try to drive it off or try to escape it, if that doesn't work but instead things get worse, then I, I know that it's an aspect of myself. Does that make sense? I'm not saying yeah. do you agree with it. I'm just saying does it sort of make sense what I'm saying? Yeah. And here, 
it gets worse, right? So you 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 stab this, right? You stab you stab it with your steely knife, but you just can't kill the beast, right? Yeah. Because the, the, as soon as you you kill the kid or you think he's dead, the family fades into visibility and your consciousness fades out. So that doesn't work, right? Right. And so if it is an aspect of yourself that you're trying to kill, then all that's going to do is it's going to provoke more of a reaction from that aspect of yourself. Right? Like mm. if you try to kill your anger, it just gets angrier, right? Yeah. And so in this situation, when you try to kill this part of yourself, the retaliation redoubles, right? Yeah. And and then you fade out and fade in somewhere, so to speak, right? Yes. Now, what's the clown fear character from this Star Trek episode? Uh, it, it was a manifestation of this this matrix that was set up to keep the people that were in stasis occupied. He scans their brains, and he uh, he creates the environment based on on their thoughts and feelings. Uh, eventually, he he liked the emotion of fear the most and started to just scare them all the time and fed off that energy. Right. Okay. 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 And so then, uh, you're torturing the audience, uh, while you're being held in the back room, the family leaves except for one of the daughters. And how old is, is the daughter? Uh, late teens, late teens. Okay. And she says that uh, she's going to fuck you, right? Yeah. Now, that's a pretty ambiguous statement. I mean, I know that they've been sexually suggestive and so on, right? Um, but it's kind of an ambiguous statement, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, the phrase fuck you has 20 million different permutations and meanings, right? Right. You know, there's the uh, the Rambo meaning, right? Like the guy's pumping lead and it's like, fuck you, you know, that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. And... Even if we look at it in a sexual context, right, as if it is simply a description of sexuality, you know, call me call me an old-fashioned romantic, but that's a pretty coarse way to talk about sexuality with someone, right? Like if you're attracted to someone, you, you generally don't walk up to them and say, I'm going to fuck you, right? That That's a very aggressive thing to say. Even if it's not said directly in anger, it is a very unsettling and aggressive thing to say, right? Yeah. And so you don't she says, well how do you want how do you want it? And and that's kind of a weird thing too. Because I mean without necessarily getting into the physics of the naughty bits, it's kind of tough for a woman to fuck a man who doesn't want said fucking, right? Yeah. So she says, how do you want it? It's like well, if I don't want it, you can't do it unless she's going to do some hideous strap-on nonsense, right? Yeah. And it's, that's not she's not like uh, uh, hoisting up some timber log with a leather strong a leather uh, a leather thong, right? No. Okay, so if she's so it, it's sort of an impossibility here that's that's occurring, right? Yeah. All right. She's and you so you say I don't want to do it, right? Now, are you tied down? Are you like what? Why are you staying there? No, I'm not tied. I'm, I'm just kind of sitting on a chair across the table from her, and my fiancé is standing in the corner of the room. And the only thing keeping me there is 
is knowing that I've already tried to escape and they just they just seem to be able to to kind of capture me, you know, that Right. So down. you can't leave because they'll just fade out your consciousness and you'll be right back, right? Exactly. Right, okay. Yeah. So she says, Do you want the family to watch? So this is reference to her family that is torturing people outside, right? Yes. If I have to, it will be with no one watching. And to tell, so basically you're saying, if I have to have sex and you feel like you can't escape because they have this ability to teleport you and, and so on, right? Yeah. All right. Um, and you ask that your fiancé be allowed to stay to watch. Yeah. And uh, give me the reasoning behind that. Um. I kind of, I, I just would feel guilty, I guess. It's the only thing I can remember feeling is, is if, uh, if it had, if it would be like cheating. So I wanted her to, to stay, you know. Go on. Um, yeah, I, I think so that she would see that it, it, I'm being forced and at no point would she think that it's um, willing. <clears throat> Why didn't you ask your fiancé? Because you're kind of making the decision for her, right? Uh, well, no. I said she'd say if she wishes to. Oh, if she wishes. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Okay, right. Now, you didn't feel that you could communicate directly with your fiancé at this point, right? No. And did um, did your fiancé want to stay in, in your dream or not? Um, it, it never really got to that point. But... Uh... I don't think she did. All right. Now, tell me about the hologram that, that that she shows you. You say the part of your inner brain and the cortex that are activated. What is she trying to show you in this uh, in this moment? That they can read my thoughts and I can't hide anything from them. Um, what do they think you're hiding? Do they think that you want to uh, have sex with this uh, with this woman? That's what they're insinuating. Yeah. Well, it's more than insinuating because they're proving it, right? Because they're holding up this holograph and they're saying, are they saying your sexual arousal center is is firing uh, and, and therefore you can't claim that you don't want to, right? Right. Right, okay. Okay. And do you believe this um, holograph? No. And why don't you believe it? Because... In in reality, I, I don't want to do it. Right. So no matter what they show you, you don't, you don't want to do it. Right. Right. Okay. Why do you feel a sense of claustrophobia at this point? Um, it, the, the situation seems kind of hopeless. I know there's no escape and they seem to be exerting full control and it's just it's a matter of torture now. But they're not. See, this is this is very interesting because at the very like, if you truly did not believe that there was any hope, you wouldn't feel claustrophobia and, as you say, courageous indignation and a feeling of resistance. You would feel um, despair, hopelessness, give up, lie back, do whatever you want, right? Mm -hmm. But what's very interesting about the end of this dream is they're showing you a holograph of your. She's showing you a holograph of your brain. And they're saying, we know what is occurring in your head, right? Yeah. But they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Because that's not what's occurring in your head.
right? Yeah, yeah. And that's important to me because that's what gives you the courage to resist because you feel that they can control what's going in in your mind, but they can't because they can't even accurately see what is going on in your mind. And they're trying to show you something that is incorrect, right? Yeah. And so this is the first chink, so to speak, in their armor, right? Yeah. Does that, I'm not sure you're getting this emotionally because you're just saying, yeah, like I'm reading off a list of phone numbers, right? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, don't apologize. I'm just pointing it out, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, because I, I this get This is the it. first time where they're, the limits of their power are clear, right? Yeah. Does, does that make, it, it's like if somebody showed me a picture with a vagina where my penis should be and say, and said, I know that you're really a woman, right? Well, I can feel the dangly bits <laughs> even as I walk, right? So I just know <laughs> that that person is incorrect and that they're manipulating and that they don't know what's going on, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, perfect sense. So this is like, they're not omniscient. They're not all powerful. They're just messing with my head, right? Yeah, they're just bullies. They're just bullies and they're, they're not in my head. They don't have right. control of my thoughts because they're showing me something that is obviously either faked, like it's not a real representation of my brain, or it is a real representation of my brain, but they're lying about what is actually occurring, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's um, that's important because that gives you a sense that they're not all-powerful, they're not all-knowing, and they're certainly not supernaturally knowledgeable, right? They're just assholes <laughs> with a holograph, right? Yeah. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that does. And here, you feel a sense of claustrophobia, which is has been a damn long time coming in the dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been a damn long time coming, right? Mm-hmm. So you feel a sense of claustrophobia and you feel a sense of courageous indignation and a feeling of resistance and you escape, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I wake up. Right. Now, I'm not going to say that this is all to do with, with what's going on in the dream for you, but this is the thoughts that are just dropping into my head and then you can tell me if they make any sense. One of the most dangerous and damaging aspects of religious instruction, which is truly abusive in my opinion, is that there is conceived to be an entity that sees everything in your mind and your heart and your soul, right? Yeah. That is creepy, creepy, creepy shit. Yes. Because it's like if you have a bad thought, you've committed a crime. And... Because there are things about ourselves that we don't know as yet, and there may be things about ourselves, probably are, that we will never know. Or at least that we won't know. Like, how is it that you and I are going to handle our own death? Well, we don't know exactly until it's occurring, right? So there are things that we don't know. But in the religious universe, there's a god or a, an angel or a devil or something that knows everything there is to know about us. Knows us better, infinitely better than we know ourselves, right? Yeah. That, to me, has always been completely creepy. I mean, 
you know, people have these dreams like where they, they, they show up to school naked or they show up to work naked or they're doing a presentation and they're naked. And that feels like very vulnerable because people can see can see us and they're clothed and we're naked so we feel in a vulnerable position. But compared to standing in the face of, um, of an omniscient consciousness and having every single atom of our thoughts, experience, past, present and future completely mapped out by that consciousness, that is infinitely more vulnerable and creepy than just standing in front of people with no clothes on, right? Yeah. Which, you know, I when I was working on the, the novel that I'm reading at the moment, Just Poor, I'm reading it as an audiobook. Love this book. And uh, I, I went to work on it for um, a couple of weeks in, in, an, in the English countryside. I rented a cottage and I went to because it took place in the English countryside. And I really wanted to, to go and absorb. So I flew over to England and... Anyway, so I was, I was working so hard at this novel. I went to, I went to go for a swim. So I walked, I didn't have a car there and I walked, I don't know, a couple of hours to get to the local swimming pool. And I was thinking about problems I was having with plot and character and so on. And I, I was changing to go into, uh, the, the, the swimming pool. And I was concentrating so much on my novel, I forgot to put my swimsuit on. So I basically walked out of the change room, uh, into the swimming pool area. Buck naked as the day I was born. And it's, uh, it's a bit of an unsettling feeling to say the least. I mean, you do that, you really do do a full body blush, so to speak, and you kind of dart back in. And, uh, I put my, anyways, I just, nobody really noticed, I think. I was only out there for a few seconds before I realized, oh my god, I'm naked. But, but that feeling of vulnerability and exposure is nothing, nothing, nothing compared to a god that can see all the way down into your soul. And I, I, one of the things that I think is hardest for religious people to give up is the idea that this knowledge exists out there, that, that people know you or that there's some entity that knows you so completely intimately that this rummaging around in your <laughs> internal pockets, you know, like the most creepy, ghostly, long-fingered pickpocket in the universe. And... It's almost like these, this family represents some sort of deity, or as you say, a kind of demon, but a supernatural entity that can do anything, right? Can materialize, can break rules, can dematerialize, can be stabbed, but come back to life. Can force you to do something because they have such control over you, right? Because of, I mean, there is no God that sees your every, every soul's movement and breath. But people like to pretend that there is, right? So, because it makes it very difficult for you to have any boundaries, any personal space, any private space, right? And this is, you know, straight out of, of 1984, right? That, that you need to have personal and private space to develop identity and thoughts and, and to, you know, you need to have boundaries. But if the priest who you believe talks to God and God knows everything about you, if the priest says something and says, uh, God, basically what the priest says is, God tells me that you did X. Well, what are you supposed to say? If you didn't do X, right? God says that you stole money from the congregation place. Well, if you didn't, what are you going to say? Well, God can't be wrong. Maybe you did it while you were asleep. Maybe you did it and forgot about it. Like it's crazy, right? You have no privacy. And, and people, the, the priest can say anything. You, you can't even lie. And lying is a form of boundaries. 
I know that sounds weird, but, but, you know, like that old, that old theory of like, or that old problem in philosophy of some guy comes in and says, where's your fiance? I want to go and shoot her. Well, you're going to lie to the guy, right? So she's in Chile or whatever, right? Assuming you're not in Chile. So you, but that's a form of boundaries to bad people is just to lie. And I, I remember this very clearly from when I was a kid in school. I mean, the rules were all so retarded and stupid and senseless and pointless. I just lie. Did you do your homework? Yeah. Did you uh, clean out your locker in the way that you're supposed to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was in boarding school at the age of six, we had to have these garters, which is these stupid elastics that hold your socks up. Who gives a shit, right? Mm. And I lost my garters. And this was punishable by caning. You got caned for losing your fucking garters. It was crazy. It's a fucking gulag, this school system that I grew up in. And so when people would say, where are your garters? I mean, I distinctly remember this being, being demand, where, where, where are my garters? I actually walked so that the guy, so that the headmaster couldn't see me. I walked to between my bed and I pretended to adjust my garters. I pretended, I just lied because the rules were so retarded and the punishments were so excessive that you just lie. You just, you just dissemble. You just fake. You just falsify. And I felt no guilt about this whatsoever. No guilt about this whatsoever. I did end up getting caught. Right? And I would just lie because he would say, ah, ah, there are no garters there. Show me your garters. Pull down your socks. Show me your garters. Right? And I had to, you know, and so I said, I lost them in gym class today. Unfortunately, it was Wednesday, which is the one day we didn't have gym class. And so I was punished. And so even in a state of unjust and brutal authority, lying is assertive. It's, it's boundaries. It is a salvation of sorts. It is an identity and a privacy of sorts. But you can't even do that in religion because God knows when you're lying. There's no escape from that blinding white light and eternal soul nudity to all spectators, right? But yeah. there's something fantastic that happens at the end of the dream, which is where you realize these people are not supernatural. They don't have all this power, and they are just people. And that's when you feel claustrophobia, and that's when you feel indignation. And that's when you resist and awaken, right? Yeah. Now, I'm sorry for that long rant and speech, but just I'm trying to sort of, because I, I mean, I was re raised religious as well, right? So I'm trying to sort of see where that may have affected your sense of boundaries and privacy. Yeah, that that really speaks to me. That that I realized that a lot when I left the JWs. That that was inculcated in me at a young age and had a lot of effects on me. I remember as young as six, um, thinking that God was you know scanning my thoughts like a ham radio and would spend a lot of time regretting thoughts that I had. Right. And then you wonder whether your regret is authentic, whether it's out of a love of God or a fear of punishment, and you just get stuck in this little loop, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. Uh, it's completely abusive uh, to, to a child's developing mind. It's the equivalent of foot binding in the Chinese culture, except at least foot binding is a merely external injury. This is in your head, right? Yeah. So does that seem like... Um, Does that seem like uh, it may have some use as a framework for looking at the dream? Yeah, definitely. 
And is there anything, I mean, I know we haven't dealt with everything in the dream because that would take a long time, uh, or I guess even longer, and I want to make sure that we get to other callers, but is that a useful place to at least at least start with it? Yeah, that's very useful. Okay, good. And uh, I you just really, really want to express my unbelievably deep sympathy for just crazy shit you grew up in. I mean, it is seriously deranged, sociopathic, psychopathic, insane, destructive, evil, junk, nonsense. And I just really, really want to express, and this, this goes out to everyone who grew up in overtly religious households. I'm so, so sorry that these uh, wounds were done to the physiology of your brain and of your nervous system. It doesn't mean you can't be healthy. In fact, you can be healthier than if you'd never been hurt. But that does not justify the hurt. And I just really, really want to express my sympathy for these vicious and destructive lies, these self-righteous falsehoods that were inflicted upon you as a child. And I'm, I'm so sorry that this, this shit still exists in the world and is regularly fed uh, to children. Thanks. All right. Well, um, we can move on to, uh, to another caller. I am, I am all ears. And, and thanks, by the way, just as we wait for the next caller, thank you, everybody who has been writing to tell me, or I guess emailing me to tell me that they're enjoying the, uh, the interviews. I like the interviews, I must say. They are a lot of work. I have to do a ridiculous amount of preparation because I don't want to be, you know, just, I obviously can't be an expert, but I don't want to be somebody who can't speak somewhat intelligently to the subject. So it's a ridiculous amount of, of research, and uh, I do miss some of the solo podcasts. I actually have two coming out uh, this week. I do miss some of the solo podcasts because they were just so much easier in a sense because I did all the work of that over time. Um, with uh, I did some of that work over time uh, in studying philosophy since I was 16, but uh, I appreciate them. Uh, I find them very helpful and very interesting on a variety of uh, levels, but um, uh, I, I, I really do appreciate it. I'm glad that people like them because uh, if you like them, I am your abject slave. Um, and so I will continue to do them if you like them. So, uh, all right. I think we have a, a caller. Uh, is that right? I heard the phone ring in your background and I'm just trying to get them hooked up. So give me a second here. Beautiful. See if he picks up. No, not letting me pick up. All right. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try him. I'll see if he's in the chat. And I'll try to raise him. All right. Do we have another question? You can type it into the chat room or you can talk through Skype. We're just waiting for James to call someone. There we go. Should be ringing. Hello? Oh, hi. It's uh, Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. How's it going, Stefan? Uh, my name is Sharif Botros, and uh, I wanted to talk to you about uh, a very... How's it going, Stefan? Uh, my name is Sharif Botros. Um, I don't know how to say this. It's like, it's, it's very deep, uh, because I've had personal experiences with God, um, where I spoke to him and he actually answered me through the use of the clouds. So I don't know if that sounds weird, but, 
it was rather than looking for God as a, as like a, a being, rather looking for him in the elements which he created. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, he he made this world for us to enjoy. Well, and sorry, share just before we everybody. get to the conclusions, or I guess the sermon, uh, can you tell me a little bit about the process that has convinced you of the existence of God? You said that uh, you is it you asked and questioned, and he answered you in the form of of clouds in the air. Is that right? Yeah, he he formed them into into like language that that I could understand. Like I uh, I know two languages. And he um, he put it in my native language, and it was clear. The way it formed was it was um, a cloud of sky, like you I'm see. Sorry, uh, I just just I just want to make sure. What was the question that you asked? Uh, asked God? Uh, I I actually asked him uh, if uh, Einstein. Uh, this is gonna sound crazy, but I asked him if Einstein. I mean, it's uh, gonna start sounding well, crazy now. Sorry, just kidding. Go on. <laughs> well, I don't know. I just, I don't know. It's it's really hard to to even get the ball rolling because I want to give you the angles properly without you know missing a point. Um, but what I, what I wanted to share was like I asked him if uh, if if Einstein had uh, had smoked marijuana and he he clearly put no and it it came literally after a few minutes and. Uh, it was there for about two minutes, and as soon as I, I accepted it, he made it disappear. And I'm sorry, I'm not saying which, uh, which language did um, did the word no show up as? In Arabic. And um, that is a uh, a symbol, right? I mean, so I mean, it would be a symbol yeah. to to Western eyes, right? But it's a very complicated symbol. It's uh, it's like a backwards L with a slash on top of it, connected to it. Um, leading to the bottom right corner, and then there is uh, there's almost like a, a a curve, like a C above right. the the slash, the top of the slash on the left, and then a line going going through it at the bottom. Um, so it's it's not like an easy thing to you know screw up. Like sure, it, it, sure, it, but it, I mean statistically. Um... I'm not sure that you're a serious caller. I'm just telling you that up front because it's fairly outlandish. I'm sure you're aware of that, but that's fine. Let's let's take it at face value. Yeah, um, I know. It, it's possible for a cloud to make this shape, right? It's possible. I'm not saying yes. it's easy, but it's possible. Now, to me, it would be really impressive if God created a sentence in the cloud and you took a photo of that. And, and you know, from and that to me would be because the odds of clouds forming a sentence – to me, would be, I mean, I've seen clouds form N-O or, you know, a, a letter or even two letters. I can't remember that I've ever seen clouds form three letters. But if clouds formed a sentence, that would be pretty well, hard to explain as, uh, that, that would but if, be they, pretty if amazing. they're forming one symbol, that's that's within the realm of possibility, right? Yeah, but it's 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 like several symbols that were connected and pieced perfectly. And, and the weird thing is, it was well. I'm no, sure you've not seen perfect. this. In, it, no, not not perfect. I'll, I'll You're not to trying to say that they, were, they were absolutely perfect, right? Well, that's the thing. It was it was very vivid, and it was it was the weird thing about it was okay. You know when there's uh, like a massive cloud covering the sky, like the area you're in, right? Mm-hmm. And um, it it simply kind of it came down a little bit in that shape. It kind of like bulged out, like a bolding. You know what and I mean? And if you uh, and then, yourself down marijuana. 
Yes, but <laughs> I, I've actually been off it for a while because I've been uh, been keeping busy and you you can't really be you know lazy and stuff when you're working. But and other, so have, other you than done, that, uh, have you done other drugs other than marijuana? No. I've never bothered with anything else. Uh, why would I um, go to anything other than what God made, right? So, <laughs> well, God made but, arsenic too, but that's sort of beside the point. Um, and when you did smoke marijuana, did you smoke it uh, quite regularly? Uh, for for a good for a good bit, like about um, like a year or two. But and how often did you smoke it? Uh, I used to smoke it daily. But so now, would you smoke a joint or two or more daily? Pardon? You would smoke a joint or two or more daily? Uh, no, not that much more. Maybe like one a day. I I would keep it very, very, um, like I, I didn't need to consume much, you know? And it was only just to, to relax, you know what I mean? Right, but right. Now, I, uh, you understand that what... You're talking about, I mean, I, I understand that it's a powerful experience for you. I mean, and I'm not going to tell you that it wasn't, because obviously it is, and I'm, I don't like to tell other people what they feel. But mm-hmm. this is no proof that God exists, you understand, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not trying to prove to you that God exists through this. I'm just giving you something that I saw and I, I wanted to share. But there's also something else that, that I wanted to share with you, and that is um, there's something you never, um, you never went to. You know how you usually go to the Y. Right and uh, I'm sorry. I normally go to where? You usually go to to the why of things as a oh, philosopher. Oh yes, yes. Sorry, I thought you meant the YMCA. <laughs> sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. But um, in the name, there, there's one why that that you haven't gone to, and that is why why do people um, either judge you or or uh, steal and and some of these things, but in a in an in an actual perspective where how it actually started. And I believe that um, people judge and, and you know, say, oh, you can't steal or any of this stuff because they, um, they want you to believe that you can own something when in reality you can't own anything. Like, for example, if, if you were to hold the same phone I'm using, you could use it too, right? And the only thing we can actually uh, do in this world is use what's what's in it and 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 manipulate it with thoughts. Like somebody could have the idea of a car, and then he can put it together and make it reality. But he can't sit there and just think as hard as he can or pray to make it happen. So we can we can share that thought, and if we had shared it instead of trying to sell it and say this is my own thought, here's the price on it people would go and build a car too, instead of coming to you and saying, I need to pay you. But the only way this would work is if every person on the planet agreed that you can all work on teams, but instead of being in different teams and competing against each other, we could all work as one massive team, understanding that through logic and, and what is rational and what we can physically do, we can do what everybody needs without having to use any sort of force because you don't need to tell me as have you, you've said before you don't need to tell somebody to eat right it's it's mm. it's natural but if nobody was ever forced if nobody had ever had violence used against them 
they would never use violence. And the only time you actually really begin to start having violence is when you say, I own this so you can't use it, or I, ha I know better than you, so I need to force you. Well, by saying you know better than me, you're judging the world that you're playing in, God's playground, and you're judging me thinking that I should know what's best, but the truth is, if you simply explain to me the logic instead of saying, I know better than you, I wouldn't need to question what you're doing because then it would just be logic and you wouldn't have violence at all because it wouldn't be force. It would be logic. You see what I'm saying? And all right. Now, I'm going to give just a response to what it is that you're saying, and, and you've said a lot, right? And I, I'm not saying yeah, – I, actually, I agree with quite a lot of what you're saying, which doesn't mean that you're mm -hmm. right or I'm right. It just means that I happen to agree with it. So let me just uh, touch on a few points that you made, and then um, if you don't mind, we'll move to a, to another caller. The, the first thing uh, is that uh, where did stealing come from? Well, I, I think that's a fantastic question. It's a very important question, and there are two uh, two answers that people generally come up with. The first – is that human beings were originally perfect and flawless because they were made in the image of a perfect and flawless being, na namely God. Mm. And then some bad shit went down. You got a talking snake, you got a false woman, you've got uh, uh, a whole load of hurt. I, wa I want to uh, just pause you for a second. I do not believe in all religions. I think they're all just a joke. I believe no, no, in I, God. I agree with you. I'm, I'm not saying this is your perspective. I'm just saying that there are two answers. Right? Oh, okay. I'm not going to say that you believe one or the other. But So there's this idea that human beings are originally very good, but then some bad shit went down, and we mm -hmm. became really bad uh, forever, and we're all responsible and blah, blah, blah. That's one answer, and that's the religious answer. Now, the secular answer is that I'm going to paraphrase evolutionary biology very generally here, so please forgive me if I go astray. Mm -hmm. But the secular answer is to say, look, animals are amoral. It is a competition for resources. And if animals can harvest the value of other animals, mm -hmm. then you, you're doing a lot better. So if you're a cuckoo and you can lay your egg in, in a nest and have it be raised by some other bird, that's better in terms of resources uh, than... Uh, than doing it yourself. So the secular answer is he, that, that nature is full of stealing and, and lying in terms of false camouflage. It's full of, of predations. It's full of creatures laying eggs inside other creatures. It's full of um, uh, somewhat mm -hmm. mutually beneficial or symbiotic relationships. Uh, it's, it's full of uh, a murder in terms of uh, <laughs> uh, lions eating antelopes and so on. And so mm -hmm. from a moral standpoint, nature is full of evil. Again, I'm not saying that that's true, but this is, this is where we came from. And mm -hmm. human beings are very good at agriculture. And people always think that agriculture means that human beings grow crops. That is not true. That is the least important aspect of human agriculture. Human agriculture is not people growing crops, but people owning people. Right. So if you can own slaves, if you can own other human beings, then mm -hmm. that is the greatest resource of all because human beings are incredibly adaptive and they're intelligent and they will take orders. You can't order an, a, a raccoon to do anything, but you can order a human being to milk a cow, to deliver a calf, to uh, hoe the back mm -hmm. of the and so on. So the primary agriculture in human relationships is the owning and the harvesting of the skills, talents, strength, and abilities of human beings. We are human farmers. That is where we came from, and that is the most valuable resource that a human being can own is another human being, just in terms of amoral evolutionary survival. 
And my argument has been that the most effective way to own human beings is through morality, as we just saw to some degree with the tortured dream that this fellow, all sympathies to him, had with regards to his religious upbringing. The best way to own human beings is through morality because morality creates a self-sustaining mental electrical fence that people don't go beyond and it creates a horizontal slavery where you get attacked by your fellow slaves for thinking rationally. And so morality is created. Morality is inflicted upon the slaves because it makes it lowers the cost of ownership. And what we're trying to do in the modern world, because morality only works on the slaves if it is perceived to be universal. Right, So the, mm -hmm. the masters will say to the slaves, this is universal morality. And then the slaves will say to the masters, okay. And a few of the slaves will say to the masters, well, if this is universal morality, why don't you have to follow it? And that can't be allowed. That can't be allowed. And so all yeah. we're trying to do as slaves is to grab the greatest lever in the world, which is called morality, which is the most efficient way of owning human beings, and turn it around so that it faces back to the masters because that detonates, brings down, and demolishes human ownership and hierarchical slavery. So uh, I'm very much, we came from an amoral and we moved to an evil uh, passage. It's amoral if you just a lion eats an antelope. It's evil if a human being owns another human being through an appeal to morality, because that is both affirming and denying the value of morality or using the power of philosophy to own human beings, which is using the force of good and turning it to evil. And so I would say that stealing comes from the amoral and then evil passage of our histories, and we're trying to wrestle back the definition of morality so that we can genuine, genuinely make it universal. And the masters are kind of screwed in this because they can't claim it's not universal because if it's not universal, they have no right to be masters. But if it is universal, yeah. then they have no right to be masters either way. That's why philosophy yeah. is so dangerous and so, so powerful. That, that, leads, that leads to something else what, what, um, I want to add to that. Uh, if if you actually look at every human being as just like a, like a different you, they're just a, a different you. Like every soul is just you scattered in a bunch of different bodies. Um, you could you could start working with with everybody um, without trying to say that we could own or or uh, put a flag on something and say that's ours or that represents us, you know, all these labels. If if people weren't so caught up in all these things, nobody could even, you know, have a conflict. Because if, if we said this is all for us to enjoy, well, then who, who, who can say what's rules and what's right? But all we can tell through logic is that whatever is constructive is good, like eating well to stay healthy is good, you know, building things to use through logic is good, but, you know, I don't know, blowing yourself up with a bomb is <laughs> not too good. You, you know, every human knows that. So why why can't we agree to, to, to work all, like, you know, all humans together instead of trying to see how we fit? Like animals attack each other, as you said, with violence, but that's because they have um, a food chain. Humans don't have a food chain, right? Like, Oh, no, we, we do. We have a food chain, for sure, which is that the masters well, own the slaves, and uh, we produce... That's what I'm trying to say. 
uh, we need to we need to free ourselves from that. We need to we need to stop being uh, you know like uh, like we have hills of humans here and then we have like valleys of humans there. We need to have like a balance of humans worldwide. You know, I, 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 I appreciate your sentiments and I certainly appreciate your idea that human beings should work together more peacefully. But it seems to me like you want to be more of a nutritionist and less of somebody who just says it would be great if people were thinner. It would be great if people ate better. Well, of course it would be great if people well, ate better. And of course it would be great if people worked more cooperatively I'm, and less violently. The challenge is the, the intellectual rigor that it takes to figure out why they're not doing that and how they can do that. I think, and I, I just, I do want to move on to another caller, but I think it would be more powerful if, if this is a real goal of yours in your life. And you're sort of like somebody who says, too many people eat badly. I want to figure out how they eat better. Then I think the best thing to do is to study nutrition, to study psychology, to well, study self knowledge. I, I do do that for myself, and, and I try to share that information with other people. However, what, like, I, I know the sole basis of this problem is, is people are uh, living through the lies and you you can't live through lies you need to you need to agree that you can't own anything and you can't judge anything and all you can do is work for a constructive world and if everybody could could understand that worldwide nobody would be fighting for anything everybody well, I would appreciate be out. the sentiments uh, i think that it's uh, it's a great kumbaya which i enjoy singing along with but i do think that it's important to start from first principles with a strong knowledge of history and and so on so uh, that you can communicate these as you know, as effectively as possible so people don't listen to conclusions which they can agree with or disagree with but they can listen to a methodology that really is is harder to escape so but thank you so much for your call i did find it quite hey, it's my pleasure. Uh, quite fascinating and listen if god does ever type out a sentence in the sky clouds please do take a photo I'll, I'll take a picture. <laughs> All right, take it. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate that. No and um, we have time for another question or do, as they say, à la Français. No. Oh, well, sorry. We're just waiting for uh, another caller to step up. They they get a little startled at times. Uh, somebody has asked the idea of rogues from Practical Anarchy. Struck me struck me as a little big brotherish. Could we talk about that a little? I absolutely can, uh, but I'd rather you ask the question. Have I seen the Facebook fan pages for Free Domain Radio? 800 fans now. Ah, oh, I had to tell you. You know, we, we had 7,000 video views just yesterday, or just on YouTube, and that's one of the many channels that um, uh, has, uh, has stuff. So um, that's really cool. 7,000 people in a day. That is, that is seriously cool. That is a lot of people. Oh yeah, sorry. What is the phone number to call? If you want to call, then I will uh, I will give you the phone number. It is 315-876-9705. That is 315-876-9705. But um uh just to answer the question about rogues and I've heard this uh, question, right? So so people say uh, when it comes to my theory, and again it's just a theory of course about how a free society can work, that you're part of the DRO system, and then if you do bad things, you're kicked out of the DRO system, and then people say, oh, so you're creating a whole underclass of people who, uh, you know, have no stake in society and are complete rogues, and they will just create, you know, then you'll get these gangs and all this kind of stuff. Well, that's not um, uh, that's not how it works. Yeah, that's, that's not how, how it works. So if you really want to understand how the DRO system works, uh, think of the uh, the lending system. Uh, it's not directly directly analogous, but it has some value in in the understanding. So 
in the credit system, you have a series of credit ratings, right? And you have, I know, triple A where you get prime interest rates and then you all the way down to, I don't know what's down at the bottom, double D cup or something where, uh, you get free drinks, uh, where you get a bad credit rating and you have to pay a lot more in terms of interest to reflect the higher risk. So there are, so there's a whole a series of um, uh, steps in your credit rating. So it's not like the moment you don't pay back a debt, you're cut off from all credit and nobody will lend you a penny. That's not true. I mean, whenever I drive on the uh, the road, you can see on lampposts people saying, you know, if you have bad credit, if you have no credit, you know, we will lend you money and so on. There's money to be made out of lending money to to bad credit risks. In the same way, there will be triple A DROs, which are very cheap to make, uh, sorry, they're very cheap to, um, uh, to, to join. Uh, and the reason they're cheap to join is for the same reason that if you buy heart attack insurance and you're in excellent shape and you have no family history of heart attacks, then it's going to be very cheap for you versus you have a strong history of heart attacks, you're 200 pounds overweight and you whatever, right? So if you act honorably and you fulfill your contracts, you pay your debts and so on, then you get to join the cheapest DRO on the planet, right? Uh, it's going to be, you know, 50 bucks a year or a decade or something. Right? And that's great. Now, if you start to screw up and you, it doesn't mean that you immediately get kicked out of the DRO system. It just means that you start sliding down the scale. And at the people at the very bottom, all they might do is say, listen, all I'm going to enforce is your gross, your utilities and your, um, I don't know, um, your car, you know, but, but I'm not going to big long-term contracts. You're not going to be able to buy a big screen TV with my support. So it, it's not that people, it's not black and white. Like you're either in the DRO system or you're out of the DRO system. Uh, it's, I'm talking and I don't make this clear. So I apologize for that lack of clarity in the book, but there's, there would be levels of, uh, of, uh, DRO involvement in people's lives. And it would simply just like credit, it would get, you can borrow less and it costs you more as you lose your credit rating. It's the same thing when it comes to DROs. You're, you would have less support for what it is you want to do and you'd have to pay more for it. But uh, I don't think that there would be anyone who'd be kicked out completely because there'd always be some scummy DRO that will put you up for, you know, a couple of hundred bucks a year will guarantee your bare minimum uh, of necessary contract involvements uh, and won't give you a penny more. And if people drop out of that completely, then yes, it's true. They will be off the grid and they won't be able to participate. But I don't think that, I mean, if there's any way to make any, any money off these people in terms of guaranteeing their support within society, then people will. And if there isn't, then they're off the grid. But that, of course, can happen anyway now. So sorry, that's uh, a quick, uh, a quick overview, but, um, I think we, we had a caller. So let's go to the caller. Hello, Steph. Hi. Uh, is that me? Who's on? on? Uh, you are on the air. Oh, hi. Hi, Steph. Um, yeah, I have a question. Um, on one of your podca- podcasts, I think it's an old podcast, you were, you were, um, uh, talking about parenting and, you know, raising babies and, and uh, you, you said something very interesting that, um, that, uh, that kind of caught my attention. You said that, uh, you know, like you were talking about how, you know, babies need a lot of feedback, and they need a lot of you know, you know, adult interacting with them. Um, and uh, the idea of growing up a, a, or, or of spoiling a kid is kind of uh, not correct. And that kind of uh, sorry, the idea of I just missed that. The idea of of what your kid? Spoiling a kid, like you know, like giving the kid just you know, if you give the kid everything that he asks for, 
Like he's just gonna grow up, you know, like the years gonna spoil him too, too too much, basically. Yeah, for sure, and and that is basically it's unfair. I think it's unfair to to train your child to be a failure in adulthood. And certainly as adults, we all recognize that we don't get everything we want, that we have to compete in the free market or the not-so-free market uh, in terms of love, in terms of career and money and and happiness and sports is win-lose. So there's just no way that an adult is ever going to get everything that he or she wants. And if you raise your child that way, you're not preparing your child for adulthood. So uh, that's my sort of thought on it, but uh, please continue. Oh, I see. I, maybe I misunderstood. I'm, I'm, okay, I'm, I misunderstood that because I thought you were saying that you should try to, uh, like, if if your kid is, maybe when it's a baby, you know, if kind of maybe starts crying or starts doing something, you should always try to be as attentive as possible. Like, even, I don't know if you meant it to the extreme where you kind of like give him whatever he asks for. Well, you can't spoil a baby. I, 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 and that's not just my opinion. That seems to be pretty well-established medical fact. So... Uh, if your baby's hungry, you feed the baby until the baby is not hungry. And if the baby is, is crying, you attempt to comfort the baby. That is certainly the case, in my opinion, for the first couple of months of life. Now, um, uh, starting at about six months, uh, as I've mentioned before, and I won't go into any detail here because I've talked about it before, um, we did sleep train my daughter, which meant that she had to go to bed. Uh, and uh, she cried, she wanted us, and we didn't go in to get her, and she eventually fell asleep. And now she does that without, uh, with barely any crying, and she sleeps much, much better, and she's doing much better in terms of her development and her happiness and so on. Uh, so, uh, so yes, I, I do believe that you cannot spoil a, a baby uh, at all. You just give the baby whatever he or she needs. There is a time, uh, and it's not the case with all children, but sleep training does have to occur, in my opinion. It seems to be very important medically where you have to do that. I mean, there's things like giving your kids their shots and so on, uh, which is also uh, important and necessary. You know, we're going to have to take her to the dentist. She's not going to like that, of course, because who does, but you do it anyway. So, um, no, I, I think that whatever you can do emotionally to, to comfort and support uh, your child, you should absolutely do. There will be decisions that you have to make as the parent that are going to be against the immediate happiness of your child. But uh, And if you listen to my parenting podcast, I put out a series of criteria by which I think you can make uh, that decision. Uh, and, and none of these, of course, involve any kind of verbal or physical aggression against the child. Uh, so I hope that clarifies my position a little. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that helps a lot. Yeah, because I kind of, that kind of relates to what I want as a child. I mean, I was very sport when I was a child. And right now I have huge, tremendous problems. You know, when, like when I get, when I don't get what I want, it it creates a little bit of anxiety, and you know I've I've become conscious of it, so I'm kind of like working on it. But it takes a huge amount of effort on my part. And sorry, you were to, saying that you were spoiled as a child. Yeah. And in what way were you spoiled? Like pretty, I pretty much got anything I asked for. I mean, like I was, you know, like. <laughs> you mean you just asked for it? You didn't even have to have a tantrum. Like yeah, seriously. Like they would even like. They would even like if I didn't want to eat something, they would even like have somebody done some, you know, at the, you know, at the, at the other end of the table just so I could get, you know, this, you know, I could kind of be enjoying the moment and you know, they, and you know, I, I don't remember any of this. Like they told me, you know. So. Uh, but what about when you could remember? That, I definitely know that you know I was responsible to the to the extreme. I think you know. Um, and uh, what what do you remember though that uh, you think um, may have contributed to this uh, uh, spoiled aspect of your life? 
I mean, not much really. I mean, you know, all of this went on when I was very little, very, very little. But uh, I mean, from what my, you know, all my family tells me, like even my mom, she would, like when my mom, when she was pregnant, she would carry me, like she would sit me sometimes on her, like if, like I didn't, I didn't like to walk. Like they used to tell me, I didn't like to walk. So when they used to take me to, uh, to, uh, to kindergarten, uh, and I didn't want to walk, like, you know, a couple of blocks, but my mom would just have to, and I, and I would just start crying, right? So then what she would do is she would just sit me on her, she was pregnant at the time, so she would sit me sometimes, and like, she would kind of carry me, and then I would kind of like sit on top of the, uh, the, uh, like my little brother, <laughs> which, uh, you know, like things like that, and, and I don't know, like, how, what they would have done to stop that. I mean, and, and if somebody can, you know, I know, I know you mentioned like a couple of minutes ago that you you kind of talked about, you know, uh, of ways of you know dealing with children, you know, so that uh, you don't spoil them, but at the same time you are not too, uh, not uh, not too uh, harsh on them, I guess. Uh, if if somebody can point, you know, like the, the podcast number, that would be great, you know. Yeah, uh, sure. But, the, that, that kind it's... Of, uh, let me just, you know, I think those are, those are great questions and uh, I wish we had a little bit more time to, to get into this because the question of spoiling is, is very, is very challenging and it's a very, very interesting, uh, it's a very, very interesting question. Um, and uh, if you do get, I'd like to talk to you further about it. I think you're going to need to get Skype and a headset. The headset is very cheap because it's hard to, um, to hear what it is that you're saying over the phone line. Uh, and it's, uh, I don't want to miss, uh, what's going on. So if you do get, um, if you can get a hold of um, uh, of Skype and a headset, I'd like to talk about this with you further because I think it's a very interesting question. Uh, what does it mean to uh, to be spoiled, and and what causes it? And I'd like to talk further, but if we could um, uh, if we could do it over Skype, I think that would be a lot better. Uh, let me try. Let me put my head my headset on, and I'll give you a call back. Uh, no, don't do it just now because we only have a half an hour left in the show, uh, and I, I think we have some other callers. So uh, just send oh, a message. Sure, sure. Yeah, no, send no a message, problem, and we'll no set up a time to call or call in early next week. And I appreciate it if you would uh, uh, share more about this. I think it would be very interesting. Sure, All right. Well, thanks. Thanks for calling in. I, I appreciate that, and I think uh, I think we do have uh, another caller or two, and I want to make sure we can squeeze them in like the last hot dog in a hot dog eating contest. Now is the time, and you can type the question into the chat room if you do not have. Um, Steph, somebody's asked, have I prepared for the likely possibility of a huge influx of popularity with you and your show? Uh, I don't know how I can prepare for that, really. I mean, the server can be upgraded, uh, and there's still a fair amount of um, processing speed left uh, available on the server. Um, I just, you know... I. I don't really think too too much about the popularity of the show. Um, I mean, obviously, it's it's doing it's doing well in terms of of growth and all of that. Um, the donations are um, uh, it's interesting. Donations are somewhat uh, stagnant, but I consider that to be pretty good because, of course, the majority of my donors come from the U.S. and the U.S. is going through a recession slash depression. Uh, and so, whenever there's a recession on, if your income stays around the same, you're actually doing quite well. Uh, so uh, if and when the U.S. economy bounces back, I hope that the um, uh, I would I would dearly like to hire someone. Uh, it is uh, it is a it's a crazy amount of work to do it all. 
uh, myself. Uh, so I'd really, really like to hire someone or more than someone, but um, we will have to wait, uh, wait for all of that. Because yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's on the edge of of what can be uh, what can be achieved uh, at the moment. I mean, it's uh, it's and and uh, you understand. I mean, I do have some volunteers whose time and efforts uh, are, are enormously, enormously gratefully received. But um, yeah, it would really. I mean, I was just talking about this the other day with Christina about how nice it would be to get something a little bit more professional than a red room to do to do the interviews in and, and all that kind of stuff. It would be it would be nice to um, to up all of this kind of stuff. That having been said, uh, it's technically quite a challenge to do that because the files that need to be worked with are very large. That'd be really nice if uh, I didn't have to. You know, do all the research, uh, set up the interviews, videotape the interviews, and then put it all together in a video file and an audio file and update the XML and put it on the, like it's, there's a lot of periphery stuff around the actual camera time or, or microphone time that is quite a challenge. And, uh, of course, there's a lot of backlog of things that, uh, that need to be done. So, uh, I appreciate uh, that. And people do, do offer to help. Uh, it's just, um, it's a, it's a challenge to uh, to get that kind of help uh, coordinated and organized. Uh, I just generally I, I'm more used to being an entrepreneur where I hire someone for a long term or hire a group for a long term process. Uh, I would love to hire people to go and uh, uh, find people who would be interested in this conversation, in this philosophy, and uh, and get it out. It'd be great if I said, listen, uh, I, I have an assistant. Uh, I need you to research X, Y, and Z. Uh, and provide me a summary. Um, I need, uh, you know, I want interviews with these five people. Uh, I need you to just keep pestering them until they agree or say no. You know, just just all that kind of stuff. It is, um, uh, it is a huge amount of work that uh, that uh, that goes on. Why is the room red? I like red. <laughs> and of course, I painted the room long before, well, not long before, but somewhat before uh, FDR, and certainly long before there were ever any any videos. So I just. Uh, I like the red. My car is red. Uh, my room is red. Uh, even my tongue, uh, when I'm not cold, is red. So, yeah, I mean, so all I can control is the the quality and the focus and the attention that I put into what I produce, right? I I, I mean, I can't I can't manage my popularity. Uh, I'm sure I could invest and spend more in popularity uh, in terms of like hiring someone now, but uh, I don't feel that's responsible given uh, the income level of the show, and uh, so. Uh, all I can do is really, really focus on coming up with with innovative and high quality, uh, empirical, researched, or at least well argued, or at least enjoyably presented uh, perspectives that are new. Right? I mean, it's not always the easiest thing to come up with a new topic after sixteen or eighteen hundred podcasts. Uh, so um, uh, it's just continuing to focus on putting out as high a quality and as engaging and entertaining and valuable a show as possible. And whatever happens in terms of popularity happens after that. I'm, I'm just so incredibly grateful to be able to do what I'm doing that I don't particularly think, you know, when's, when's my Oprah interview, right? I just don't think that's, uh, <laughs> that's not really on the radar for me. And don't forget, of course, if you're anywhere close to the West Coast or can get there, then, um, uh, please, uh, drop by San Francisco, July 1st or 4th for the Libertopia Festival. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I think it's been it's been a lot of fun to to get into these interviews. I really really enjoy it, and I've I, you know, I hope that people get you know one of the reasons that I'm doing it is that there seems to be a lot of agreement in pretty professional communities about the philosophy that we talk about here. 
right? I mean, I'm not just trying to pick people who agree with me uh, on everything. I certainly have talked to people who are statists. I've talked to people who have opposing uh, viewpoints to me on many things, like that guy have nationalized the banks. That's what we should do. I mean, that's uh, nutty. But um, uh, there is a lot of agreement. Uh, we were ahead of the curve in terms of some of the empirical evidence that was occurring, although I read of some of this empirical evidence many, many years ago. But uh, I think it's important to recognize that, that we are not outside of the mainstream of where the science is and the economics are at the moment. Are we going to have a barbecue this summer? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I very much... I very much want to uh, do a barbecue. I love, I love it when people come up. It is, it is fantastic. Um, it is a really, really a great deal of fun, and it's just, just wonderful to see, to see everyone. Um, it probably will be closer to the end of the summer, just because um, we have a big trip in uh, uh, in going to uh, to San Francisco. Uh, so we'll, we'll of course meet a lot of people there who otherwise would not be able to meet face to face for some time because we're down the West Coast and so on. So given that that's July, it doesn't make much sense for me to do something before then because we'll be seeing a lot of the same people then. But, you know, perhaps September, which is when we first did, you know, maybe the first weekend in September or just at the beginning of September before school starts for those who are that way inclined would be would be fun, sort of Labor Day weekend kind of thing. Uh, that would be when I think it's going to happen, but um, I still need to sort of plan that a little bit. Oh, listen, I mean, if if you want to help, you, you don't need, um, you know, you don't need me to... Uh, to do that, you don't need to coordinate. If you if you want to help spread philosophy, um, it's pretty easy, right? Just you you go to Google and you do a search for philosophy, uh, and you look for people who have blogs on philosophy or libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism or market anarchy or or even anarchism as a whole, if they're not you know overly shaved and tattooed, uh, and just say, hey, you know, there's this website. Uh, I think you might be really interested. Blah blah blah, right? Um, you may, you know, if, if you think that uh, my book on relationships is useful, you can go to uh, message boards or join Yahoo or Google, Google groups. Uh, you know, just you can throw on a video. Uh, you can just sit there with your laptop, do a couple of searches, create a, a board account. I mean, don't spam people, of course, but just post and say, hey, there's this free book I found really helpful. And um, uh, would that be, um, you know, you, you might be interested. It's a free book and so on. I mean, you can do a lot to get the word out about this uh, free resource. Uh, you don't need to just, you know, pick a pick a topic uh, and send some emails. Uh, if people don't have uh, email on their blogs, just post a comment and say, hey, you might be interested. This is an article that's related to you might be interested in this free book or this this podcast or this just this website. Just invite people. I mean, if you care about something, just think of it like a movie, right? If, if you care about something, you find something really valuable and important you know, uh, screw your courage to the sticking place. And it is a hard thing to do and just go out and be enthusiastic on the web. And, uh, I think that will do a lot to, uh, to bring people to, to the website. And I think, I think that's important. If it's been valuable and helpful in your life, if philosophy has been valuable and helpful in your life, then think of how your life would be without it. Think of how your life would be without philosophy. I, I can't even imagine what my life would be like without philosophy, but it would be about a bazillion times worse. And uh, think if, if you think about how your life would be without philosophy, without self-knowledge, uh, then um, think about how everybody else's life is without philosophy and, you know, do your part to, to spread it. Um, I think it's a very responsible thing to do. Uh, I think it's a very uh, – it, it has a kind of integrity. It's certainly not required, but it has a kind of integrity. I mean, if you really love a movie, you would probably go and post about how much you love the movie somewhere, and I would – 
uh, suggest that um, uh, you can also do that with uh, with philosophy uh, and FDR in particular, if that's what you like. So, yeah, so you you could just just go and do it, right? You can just just go and do do it, and um, it would be hugely appreciated for me. Uh, somebody has asked, do my interviewers ask for my CV? Um, I, ha I mean, yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of, of that, not really asked for my CV, but there was some, you know, who, who the hell are you kind of thing uh, at the beginning. It takes, it's not like a necessarily very easy thing to get an interview, but um, it's, uh, you know, I, th I think that I've, I've done a good enough job with the interviews. And, and remember, they're only, you know, I think like I've been doing these interviews for what, two or three months, maybe. So I'm still figuring out how to, to do them in a way that is, uh, is positive and as enjoyable as possible, um, where I let the people speak, but I also will jump in if they say something that I consider to be just not true. So I'm still, I'm still trying to work out the best way to do that kind of dance. Um, but, uh, I think as uh, certainly it's been, uh, less difficult to get interviewers, uh, interviewees, sorry, since, um, I've done a, I think a good, incredible job at the interview so far. And, uh, uh, so it's been, uh, it's been, uh, it, it's, it's easier and easier as, as we move forward, which I think is just as it should be. Any more books in the works for publishing? No, uh, no, not at the moment. I don't have, uh, I don't have anything in the works, uh, at the moment. Uh, I certainly have lots of ideas, uh, and things that I would like to work on, but, uh, no, there's nothing imminent. I, I mean, I can't do FDR and books and parenting. Uh, I just can't. And, and parenting is, is, uh, is uh, of course the most important thing for me. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's where things are. And certainly when Isabella gets older uh, and uh, is able to um, uh, perhaps do more uh, outside the home and so on, then um, that will be uh, that will be easier and different. Uh, somebody asked, could I speak a little bit about publishing? Why would you choose Lulu for the first? Um, uh, for your first few, there seems to be lots of other uh, options. Uh, I mean, I didn't do a lot of research. I just wanted to get the books in hardcover and didn't want to sit around waiting for a publisher. I've done gone down that road, and um, I think quite wisely so. Publishers have no particular interest in my uh, in the books that I write, and uh, I think they're quite wise uh, to do that, uh, and certainly do understand their business a lot better than I do. So uh, I just wanted to uh, to get the books out there. They were in word format. These guys accepted word. And so I went with them and, uh, it's been, it's been good, I think. Uh, somebody has asked in which degree of premium content are the Miko system podcasts? The Miko system podcasts are available, uh, to, um, uh, to, uh, subscribers. And I sent them out every month or two or three, uh, when I sort of get, when I have a bunch of podcasts to send out to subscribers. Uh, and so they should be going out, uh, in March. Uh, what difference do I see between empathy and sympathy? Um, you can do a search for this. But, um, uh, very, very briefly, uh, empathy is when you genuinely experience what somebody else is feeling and sympathy is when you like it, right? So if I'm walking down a dark alley and some guy comes slithering up behind me, laughing creepily, I empathize, empathize with his decision to hurt me or at least to frighten me. So I'm empathetic to that, but I don't like it. Whereas, uh, if I empathize and like what somebody is, um, uh, what somebody's feelings uh, are, then that is, uh, sympathy in my, uh, in my experience. And, uh, that's, but there's, you can do a search in the, um, freedomainradio.com forward slash search page. What do I think about starting a church of reason and evidence to evade property taxes and to start a separate DROs justice system? I do not 
uh, like it. I mean, I don't, you know, if people want to do it, uh, fantastic. But, uh, I think that, um, I think that's how Richard Stack started. And, uh, <laughs> I just don't think that's a very good, uh, good, a good way to, uh, to approach it. I mean, you know, me, I'm deal with your personal relationships, deal with what is going on in your life. Uh, you have a lot more power over that. And, uh, fewer people are going to be, uh, uh, chasing after you with guns if you, know, you don't have to worry about getting arrested by for non-payment of taxes and so on. So, uh, I, I, you know, to me, it's all just about get your personal relationships, live your values, inspire people that way. And that's how the world is going to change. It's going to, it's a multi-generational change. It's a multi-generational change. And if you doubt me, just look at the, um, uh, the psychohistory page, psychohistory.com, or at least some of the stuff that I've read there. It is, a multi-generational change. And anytime we try and short circuit it, all we're doing is, is slowing it down. And thank you so much, everybody who has also said uh, how, um, how they're enjoying what I'm doing as a parent. Um, it is, uh, it is so important, uh, to me, of course, that my daughter is having a, a great time, uh, in life and uh, is enjoying herself. And as I've said, would choose me as a dad, even if she could choose anyone in the whole wide world at any time in her life. And, uh, I really, really do appreciate it. I'm not just showing all the good stuff. I mean, this is, this is what parenting is like for me. And, uh, I just love it to death. I love her to death. She is the coolest and funnest kid ever. And, uh, I, uh, I really do appreciate people's uh, kindness and positive, uh, thoughts about what it is that I'm doing. And, uh, I hope that, uh, does Izzy have a sense of humor yet? Oh my God. Yes. She has a fantastic sense of humor. She is hilarious. Uh, and, uh, I can get into that uh, another time, but yeah, she has, uh, she has a real, a real sense of humor and she can be quite, uh, quite mischievous in her own way. And, uh, she really, really makes me laugh. Except when she's asleep. Then she just makes me go, Oh, a true news website. Would I consider that as a possibility? I think that is a great idea. I think that is a great idea. Uh, if you wanted to look into whether that's available or not, I would appreciate that and just shoot me something and, uh, and let me know. I would, uh, really appreciate, uh, uh, hearing more about that. Oh, I mean, some, something she'll do is she'll, uh, she'll pretend to feed me and then she'll pull it back at the last minute and eat it herself, which, and then she'll laugh. I mean, it's, it's really funny. It's really quite, uh, uh quite charming. And she, everything is a scarf for her at the moment. Belts scarves, all of these sorts of things. So, uh, she just, uh, loves it. Oh, and she's singing. Oh my God. She's singing. All right. Since there are no more questions, I guess it's time for mad <laughs> parenting vanity <laughs> moments. Uh, she's, uh, she's singing and that is uh, a beautiful thing. So there's a couple of songs that, that we're working on. Uh, that is, um, uh, there's an old song by sting. Uh, he wrote it when he was with the police, but he does it live called when the world is running down, you make the best of what's still around. And when he does it live, he goes into the sort of chant. He says, when the world is running down, down, down. And so I was playing that because I'm trying to expose her to uh, a bunch of different uh, songs, of, of course. Uh, and so I was playing that. And uh, so I sang to her. I said, when the world is running down, down, down. And she then chimed in, down, down, down. So this is something that we do, right? So I say, when the world and she's, uh, is running, and I, I sort of, over to you, baby. And she goes down, 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 which is just fantastic. And, um, 
then uh, we're also doing um, the wheels on the bus, of course, right? And so we have a couple of different lyrics for that, right? So uh, the baby on the bus goes, wah, 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 right? So she does that, right? So I say the baby on the bus goes, I sort of pass it over to her and she goes, wah, wah, wah. And um, because she likes the black eyed peas, we do um, the um, the rappers on the bus go boom, boom, pow, boom, boom, pow. And uh, so I go, the rapper's on the bus, go. And she goes, boom, boom, pow, <laughs> which is just too cool for school. Um, she likes uh, the ants go marching two by two. And she goes, hurrah, hurrah, <laughs> which is too much fun for words. And, of course, as I've mentioned before, she loves to do the um, from the B-52's Love Shack. Uh, she loves to go bang, bang, bang on the door, baby. Oh, it's incredible. So uh, yeah, she's uh, and and it's, uh, this language thing is just fantastic. I mean, today she learned arm and cheek. Uh, it's uh, and and daddy, please put your pants on before we go out this time. Important things for her to know. Now, somebody said, Steph, what do you think your future is more likely to evolve into a recent magazine columnist, a world tour debater, an inspiring author, or something else? I think uh, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't see myself going on a tour. I, I mean, if I were if I were single, I would have been touring for the last two years. Uh, I would have been been touring. If um, uh, if I were married but didn't have kids, I'd be touring for some period of time for sure. I'd just be going up and down, you know, talking at colleges or whatever, right? I mean, that would be a lot of fun. But I mean, I, I just I can't do that. Um, when the situation that I'm in. So, uh, I don't see that, I don't see that, see that as, as having to, uh, as going that way. So, um, I think it's going to be, um, uh, just continuing to do, uh, to do what I'm doing. Uh, I'd like to continue to get more interviews. Um, I don't, I don't see myself as a columnist. Um, so, uh, I, I don't have time to write, uh, at the moment and people sort of complain, Oh, you're just podcasting and so on. Well, I, but I can do those, right? I mean, I just, I don't have time to write or at least not with the kind of quality that, uh, I would like. Uh, so, which is not to say that the podcasts aren't of, uh, of quality. I hope that they are, but uh, I can do better podcasts than I think articles at the moment. So, uh, how far in advance of other children is she linguistically and intellectually? I'm not, I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, I mean, this is going to sound all kinds of prejudicial and, you know, perhaps it is, but nonetheless, it is my sort of true opinion. Um, when I go out with her to the mall, I mean, most of the other kids are jammed in their car seats, uh, or jammed in their carriages and they're not walking around. They're not doing stuff. And they're just kind of sitting there inert, staring out into space. Um, you know, Isabella is, you know, she, she loves identifying babies now. So she, she sees, uh, she sees a baby, she goes, baby, you know, and she'll, she'll want to go over and, and sort of say hello to the baby and she'll say, hi, baby, hi, baby. And she's, you know, we saw a bird in the mall today and she was like, hi, birdie, hi, birdie. And she's just like, oh, you're cute. and she's, she's becoming more affectionate now. So she will actually come up and she'll, she'll kiss me and she'll also stroke my cheek, uh, which is really, really nice. And, and actually she's, she's very gentle. She's incredibly gentle. Um, uh, like she does this thing where I'll go, Ooh, and then she'll go, blah, 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 like she'll play around with my lips to make funny noises. And it's really, really gentle what she does, which is, which is really great. Now she's just turned 14 months. Um, so she looks to me to be ahead of the other kids, but I don't know if the other kids are shy and maybe they're more chatty or more advanced in the back. She knows, I don't know, probably close to a hundred words by now, which at 14 months seems to me 
pretty advanced. Um, she's only beginning to put words together, and they're pretty random. And she still does, you know, when she learns a new word, it becomes the new word for everything for a, little, for a day or two. So, um, so I think she's, I think she's pretty advanced. Um, and, uh, it, it is an incredible ride. It, 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 it's incredible how quickly this stuff begins to move when it begins to move. Uh, this language explosion is like nothing I've ever seen up close before. Uh, it is truly, truly astounding, uh, how, how quickly, uh, it, um, uh, it, it it expands when it really uh, starts to to move. All right. Well, thank you everybody so much again for you know outside of my family, it is the absolute highlight of my week to have these conversations with you, and uh, it is a real privilege, a real pleasure, and uh, I uh, uh, thank you so much, and uh, thank you even to the fellow who called in to talk about uh, his experience of God. I think that is um, a fascinating stuff. Uh, I would recommend, of course, looking inward to find the answer to that and not into the clouds being manipulated by a giant ghostly finger. But um, uh, is there a chance we could get the stream going for the Libertopia event? I don't know. Um, I don't know what's going on technically there. I'm a little concerned about doing live feeds uh, after the terrible debacle at um, uh, at Philadelphia where I just got the most astoundingly piss-poor video quality of what was, I think, a really amazing debate. And uh, I was just lucky to get even the bad audio that I got. So I'm a little concerned about people focusing on a live stream at the expense of quality recordings, uh, although I will have 12 million cameras. <laughs> we'll be able to do a, uh, a, um, a composite of every atom on my face, I think. But I'm, I'm, not con- I'm kind of concerned about pushing for a live feed, which doesn't provide a whole lot of value because people will see it, you know, a day or two later uh, versus uh, getting things properly recorded um, in the moment, because I was really, really disappointed that I was not able to get any decent quality video or even high quality audio off that Bednarik debate, which was, uh, uh, am I nervous? No, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm really, really looking forward to, uh, to going. Uh, I, I love speaking live and uh, I really, really like um, speaking to an audience, uh, I'm I'm a live show. I'm a live band, baby, uh, and uh, so I uh, I'm really really looking forward to it. And uh, I have a huge degree of fun when I speak live, and uh, uh, I think the audience does as well. I think that they they don't know what's coming out of my mouth, and I think if I'm having fun, of course, uh, they're having fun. So uh, no, I'm not I'm not nervous. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. I mean, if I could do it tomorrow, I would, but uh, wait, we must. All right, so have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. We Do I know what's coming out of your mouth? Hopefully, sequential English. That's If I get sequential English out, I consider that a massive victory. <laughs> so uh, I've got some good listener combos coming up this week, some positive ones from uh, particularly one with a couple who've got great value out of philosophy and RTR, so that would be great. And um, uh, so have yourselves a completely excellent and wonderful week, and I will see you on the boards, and I will also try to drop past the chat room a little bit more now. So I will talk to you soon. And thanks again, everybody so, so much.